Would you please open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6? We've been talking about the vision of Christian fellowship and trying to really get back to the foundations of what a church is, what, what we should be doing together, especially as we're changing and moving into this new ministry and new phase of church life. It's good for us to go back to the gospel and root ourselves in it. This has been a difficult week for some of us, getting everything ready for today. Um, it's, it's pretty obvious to me that the enemy has been at work opposing it. So we pray against that. And uh, as I was thinking about it, I realized that the, the thing that he can't stand is, is God's word. And so the best thing we can do is go back to Scripture, go back to the Gospel and preach it. Preach it to ourselves. In the morning when you have your devotions, preach it to your families and your spouses. But also preach it at church. So that's what we're going to do today. The vision of Christian fellowship is simply to follow Jesus together into worship and friendship and mission. So we're, gonna, we're taking those three areas and spending a week on each, on worship and friendship and mission, and trying to see how we can balance all three as we follow Jesus together. Last week we looked at worship or our relationship with God. Today we'll look at friendship or our relationships with one another in the church. So what's the biblical view of Christian community? How are we to relate to each other in light of the gospel? One helpful passage is Galatians 6. Let's read it. Follow along as I read Galatians 6, verses 1 through 5. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone, and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. This is our text, and may God add a blessing to this text and to the preaching and application of it. Well, as I try to wrestle with it, this text this week, this has been a hard text for me. Uh, you know, some, some sermons are like clementines. They're easily peeled and they just kind of fall apart and you have an outline on Monday. Uh, others more like pomegranates where you, it's really hard to peel to get to it and uh, it's just ridiculously hard to pick out all the seeds and even when you did that, you feel like all you have is seeds. So this was the pomegranate for me uh, this week. But pomegranates are very nutritious a lot of vitamins in them, so it's worth the work. And I hope that the Lord really blesses what, what came out of this text for me uh, this week. Uh, just to help us a little bit structure our time together, I'd like to look at this issue of bearing burdens. It's not just in the text, it's in our church. We've been wrestling with it, uh, especially this week. There's been several conversations that I've had with people just about this. How do we bear each other's burdens? As we look at bearing burdens, let's look at the problem behind it, problem of it. Secondly, let's look at the practice of it. How do we do it? Thirdly, let's look at the paradox of it. That's in our text. And lastly, at the power for it. So the problem, the practice, the paradox, and the power for it. Look at the problem first. Now, as you read this passage, as I read this passage, 
it is assumed that we all have burdens. There's not a discussion whether somebody does or doesn't have burdens and struggles. It's just assumed. Paul, Paul knows that everybody struggles, that everybody has burdens. And we need help carrying them. We need others to help us. Community is essential for the Christian. What does Paul mean by burdens? I think it's a pretty broad term. It could mean different things, and maybe for you it might mean different things today. For example, it could mean sin, burden of sin. Verse 1, Paul says, If anyone is caught in any transgression or any sin, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Sin itself is a heavy burden, especially if you're not a believer and your sin has not been forgiven by God. The weight of guilt and shame and hopelessness is, is great. It's overpowering. It's crushing. Uh, you might remember John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, where Christian, the main, the main character, he starts out with a backpack, with a sack on his back that is full of sin, and he's burdened by it, and it's hard for him to walk, and he longs for the day when Christ would take it off, off his back. A burden could also be a particular struggle. As you think about your life, there's lots of things in your life that are not sinful, but they're just, they're just hard. There are things that you wish were different. You wish you wouldn't have to struggle with that, but, but you do. And you have that burden, and it's ongoing struggle. It could be something like depression or, or cancer, or uh, just your job is very difficult. There's people at your work, maybe your boss, is just making your life difficult every day. Uh, you could be in a dysfunctional marriage where it's, it's not under your control. It's somebody else's sin and you wish it was different, but there's nothing you can really do about it. It could be a particular temptation. For some of us, there's, there's just that one sin that just keeps coming back and calling our name. Now, you may not give in to it, but it's still hard. It's still a struggle. It's an ongoing struggle with temptation. So whatever that may be, that ongoing struggle is a burden for you. You deal with it most days and you, 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 you kind of weigh down by it and you need help carrying it. It could also be, a burden could also be a difficult circumstance. So not a sinful thing, not a struggle perhaps, uh, but something that is just hard. Maybe it's a responsibility in your life that you take on joyfully. You want it to be there, you don't want it to disappear. You don't want it to change, but it's just tough to deal with. You may gladly accept it as a good thing in your life, but it's just tiring and difficult. Raising children is like that, right? I don't think you know, any of us parents would, would not want to do that. We want our children, we want to help them, we want to raise them well. But man, there are days when it's just difficult, it's just tiring, you're just exhausted, right? It's a struggle, it's a burden. You keep carrying that. It's a good thing, but it's tiring. Maybe caring for an aging parent is a joyful task. You want to care for them. You don't want it to change. You don't want anybody else to do it. You want to care for them, and yet it's hard. It affects your schedule. It affects what you'd like to do with your life. And there are certain limitations, and it's just tiring. It's just hard to do that. So such tasks or responsibilities could be classified as burdens too. So we all have burdens, whatever that is. It may be sin, maybe a struggle, maybe just a difficult circumstance, but we're all struggling with something. We're all weighed down by some burden. This morning, during worship, you may have confessed a particular sin that overtook you, that ambushed you and assaulted you and overtook you, and you confessed it. That's a burden. Maybe you just come to church this morning just tired, tired from work, tired from 
your house, tired from your children, your spouse, whatever you maybe just weigh down. That's a burden. You're carrying it into church this morning. And maybe you're just kind of having a hard time with the way your life is. Nothing wrong with it, but you're just weighed down and, and tired with that. All of us deal with burdens. That's assumed in the text. This problem of burdens is assumed by Paul in this text. As I was, I was thinking about this passage, and I thought just this picture kept coming back to my mind. It's a little silly, so bear with me. Um, I thought our life is really a lot like loading cargo on a ship. There's all these people kind of scurrying around, and there's these big crates and boxes and sacks of things. And, and everybody's just loading it up, and, and we're carrying it, and somehow everybody has to walk on this really narrow plank. I don't know why they never changed that. It seems like it's always really narrow over a long portion of the water. The ship can't get any closer, and there's always people falling off of it, at least in the movies. So I think of that, okay, that's, that's kind of our life, right? We're all just... We, we're all, Get all these things, we've got to load them up and we've got to just wait our turn and go over this, over this, you know, over the water and make sure that it's placed securely. And, and we're just tired and there's a lot of chaos in life. We're just kind of carrying things. and that, That's your life. Now, to make it a little more accurate to life, imagine all of this is happening during a storm. And so there's a lot of rain and there's a lot of wind. So on top of your regular responsibilities in life, such as carrying these boxes and crates and, and sacks of things, it's also raining. And so you're wet and you're cold and the, the wind is blowing you off the, off the ramp. Now, to make it even more accurate to life, you also have pirates that are attacking you. <laughs> now, I don't mean the Pittsburgh pirates. They, they're harmless. <laughs> if they want to attack you, it's all right. I mean the actual pirates, you know, with swords and peg legs and eye patches and those kind of things. And they're attacking you. Now you're trying to imagine. I think, I think it's a pretty accurate picture of life. You know, you, you, you try and you got this thing, you got to load it up. you got a task. On top of that, you're in difficult circumstances. It's stormy outside. And you got the, the stupid pirates, you know, trying to, trying to get cargo off the ship and trying to beat you up and assault you and all that kind of stuff. I think that's kind of what life is, right? Maybe it's a silly illustration, but I think a lot of us kind of feel that way. You're trying to do what you're supposed to do with your responsibilities and tasks in life, but you also have these weird obstacles, and things just kind of don't happen very smoothly in life. Now, what should you do? Now, stay, in that, stay on that ship for a minute. What should you do? How do you, how do you deal with that so you can still load the, the cargo on the ship? I think you kind of have to come to this realization that we have to do it together that while I am bringing a crate onto the ship, somebody has to fight off the pirates. We have to set up shifts and rotations where uh, one group of people will load it up and then they will go to the warehouse and warm up and, and dry off, and then they would switch. There has to be some organization. Somebody has to be in charge of who's taking what box and crate and sack and at what time. And, so, and that's usually how it works in the docks, right? They get organized. There's a system in place. People help each other. And in a sense, I think that's the picture that Paul wants us to get, is all of us dealing with these kind of circumstances, with problems of life, carrying our own burdens, but we're all doing it together. And that really is the picture of the Christian church. That's the picture of the Christian community. That's, that's Christian friendships. When we're all together, we're doing similar tasks, but we're doing them together. And we're coming alongside and say, okay, I'm going to help you with that. If somebody falls all overboard, we pull them out. We pull them back. We get the, the, the box back on shore and load it up again. 
And so we're working together. Now, I think, I think that's a pretty accurate picture of what our life should be like. Paul says, bear one another's burdens. You help each other. Now, let's leave the analogy behind. Okay? How does it work in actual life? Let me give some examples. Let's think through practically what it looks like for us as people of this particular church, people who know each other, people who are in relationships with each other. What's what's the practice of bearing burdens for each other? Well, it could be gentle restoration. That's verse 1. It could be just gentle restoration of a believer who is caught in sin. Verse 1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. So if a believer is overtaken by sin, and by the way, this is not talking about a habitual, unrepentant, unconfessed sin that just kind of keeps going. It's not that. The picture here we get, the image here, is that the sin kind of assaults you and ambushes you and overtakes you, overpowers you. So so there's a suddenness to that. And supposedly another believer is witnessing that. You see somebody just kind of get crushed under the burden of sin, and you help them up. You restore them. You bring them back to normal Christian life. Now, it could be something simple like somebody just loses their temper and they just get really angry. And so you come alongside and you kind of calm them down and you pray with them and you bring them back. It could be something simple like that. It could be a more serious sin. But the idea here is that something happens suddenly. It's like a man falling overboard and there's somebody else to get him out. Not just let him go and just kind of let him drift away but somebody is that's so close to them that they notice and they're able to pull them back in. Now this word restore is, is an interesting word. It's used of fixing nets or uh, setting broken bones or setting dislocated joints. So the idea here is that when you restore a believer who's now been affected, he's been, he's been hit by sin, the way to restore them is to, to set the broken bone. It's painful, but it's very good. And if you don't set it, the way it's going to grow back together is going to be wrong and it's going to affect the whole body. It's going to affect the whole life of the person. So the idea here is you come alongside and you say, okay, you've got overtaken by sin, but let's not let it go any further. Let's reel it in. Let's, let's try to work through it. Let's try to set it right so you can heal from it and heal in a normal, good way. So confrontation is important, but it's all done in gentleness. It's all done with the idea of bringing the person back and healing them and restoring them to the fellowship with other believers. And who is supposed to do that? Spiritual people. Paul says, those of you who are spiritual, what does he mean by that? Does he mean people with big leather Bibles, with you know, Christian bumper stickers, with you know, people who wear white pants to church? Is that that's the spiritual people he's talking about? I don't think so. I think what he's talking about is people who exhibit the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Remember, this is Galatians. So chapter 5, he's just talked about the fruit of the Spirit. And he's talked about love and joy and kindness and gentleness. All those things that are exhibited in our lives because we have the Holy Spirit. Which is kind of everybody, isn't it? All believers have the Holy Spirit. I was reading one commentary and, and the, the, the author was making a point of saying that sometimes we see this fruit tree, this Holy Spirit fruit tree, as, as being isolated in the garden somewhere. And, and he said it's better, the better picture of that is, is a fruit tree in, in the midst of a park, in the midst of a city park, where the fruit from the tree is given to people around. That, I think that's a better picture. 
as we think about the fruit of the Holy Spirit that's coming out of our lives, if the Holy Spirit is working in us, we are gentle, we are loving, we are joyful, we are kind, we are self-controlled, that is affecting other people. And one of the ways it affects other people is that we restore with gentleness, with one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit, those who are falling into sin. And so we're able to bring them in. Those who are spiritual help those who have been overtaken by sin. So are you a spiritual person? Are you cultivating the fruit of the Spirit? And if so, is that fruit beneficial to people around you, people that you are in relationships with? If you notice someone in the church given into sin, do you come to them and gently, let me emphasize, gently and lovingly correct them? Or do you let it be and ignore it? Because if you let it be, the bone is not set. The joint is not popped back into place. And so it creates more problems and more pain and more distortion later on, in effect, for the whole church. Now, I, I think about just some of the things that we all deal with. You know, you come in contact with a Christian with massive problems. Maybe, you know, their marriage has is, is, is been dysfunctional for years, for decades now. And you try to help them. And, and especially in my line of work, when I get into a situation like that, I just feel like, man, I wish I was there 20 years ago. I wish I was there when that first happened, when they were overtaken by sin for the first time, and it hasn't become this ongoing problem that has now defined their relationship or defined their lives. But I think about it. I, well, of course, I couldn't have been there. I wasn't even born 20 years ago, so I couldn't have been there. But was there another believer there? What did the church do? Did anybody notice? And then you look at your own context and you think, are there people now in our midst who are overtaken by sin? And are we stepping up and helping them and saying, you know what, let me help you with that burden. And the way I'm going to help you is I'm going to gently correct you. I'm going to gently restore you. I'm not coming in because I don't have problems and I don't have sins, because I never get overtaken by sin. That's not the attitude I'm coming in with. I'm coming gently and saying, I'm a brother that wants to help because I see you struggling, and I don't want this to become an ongoing problem. Let me restore you. Let me pull you back in onto the ship. Martin Luther describes this action, this reaction to somebody being overtaken with sin like this. He says, run unto him, run unto him, and reaching out your hand, raise him up again. Comfort him with sweet words, and embrace him with motherly arms. That's the Christian response when you see somebody struggle with sin. You run to them. You don't wait. You run to them. But you run to them in gentleness and you embrace them. You pull them up. You raise them up. Because the goal is always going to be restoration. It's never exclusion. Now it comes to that sometimes, but the goal is always restoration. is always healing. So it could be something like that. Correcting another believer is bearing his burdens or her burdens. It could also be just compassionate support. Compassionate support. When you come alongside someone and support them through a particular struggle, I think this includes hospital visits and meals for new moms and helping someone put together a resume. Somebody's looking for a job and they're just not that savvy with computer stuff. You come alongside and you say, you know what, let me, let me take a little bit of that burden off of you. Let me help you. I type really fast and I know how to make it look good. And you help them. Not a big deal. But you take a little bit of the burden off the person. 
Maybe it's having coffee with someone who struggles with loneliness and depression and anxiety. Something is going on. You know something is going on in their lives. And you just say, you know what, can I hang out with you tonight? Can we just get together for lunch after church? Again, not a big deal, but just coming alongside and saying, you know what, I'm going to struggle with you. I'm going to take a little bit of that burden off of you. Now, I think of uh, John Newton and William Cooper. I don't know if you know those names. Um, if, if you like hymns, if you write Christian hymns, you know those names. Those are two very popular hymn writers. Um, and John Newton was, was a pastor in a little town in England, and William Cooper was, was his parishioner. He was in his church. And Cooper struggled with severe depression uh, to the point where he, he tried to take his life. He, he seemed to really doubt his salvation continuously. Uh, deep depression, very deep depression. And, and John Newton was, as a pastor and as a friend, just really stuck with him. And I'm not, ta- I'm not talking about you know, a week. I'm saying decades. He was with him. He would take him on walks. He would make him go and walk and talk with him. He would give him meaningful work to do. They put together a hymnal for their church. And you know, Newton wrote Amazing Grace. And Cooper wrote um, God Works in Mysterious Ways. You know, those kind of hymns. That the way those hymns came about is because Newton wanted to help Cooper. And he says, you know, let's do something together. Let's, let's, let's have a project together. You need something to do. You need something to focus on. And they wrote hymns. And they put them together in a book for, for their church. Um, and then after Newton left the church he was in, and I think he moved to London, he pastored another congregation, so significantly far away. He didn't stop being friends with Cooper. Now that's, that's significant. You know, for a pastor... And I'm sure Newton dealt with a lot of different issues in the church. And here he has a chance to get away from this huge problem, this really needy person. And he does it. He keeps up with him. They correspond. They visit. He still encourages him. He never gave up on him. And you look at that and you think, that is bearing each other's burdens. That somebody coming alongside and say, you know what, whether you get better or not, I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to struggle alongside with you. And I'm sure... There were many days when Newton was discouraged. And yet he stuck with him. He responded to Christ's command to bear one another's burdens. Now another example of compassionate support, of something tangible you do for somebody as you bear their burdens, is a story I heard from a friend um, last week or a couple of weeks ago. His father got seriously ill for a season. Uh, and to the point where his body was so stiff and so sore, he couldn't do even just the kind of normal, everyday tasks. Now, he worked in a factory. Tough. That's really hard to do that when you have that kind of condition. And his friend, his co-worker, was a Christian man, stepped up and actually took part of his work, his friend's work, onto himself. And day after day, he just worked harder and more to help his friend so he wouldn't lose his job and wouldn't be able to provide for his family. That's a very tangible example of bearing somebody's burden. When you say, I'm a Christian, Christ commands me to do this for you, and I come alongside, and over months I'm going to do this for you. There's something that is so inspiring when you hear those stories. You hear about Newton and Cooper, and you know, this, this Christian man in the factory. You hear, it seems right to a Christian. It seems like that's exactly what the gospel should move us to do. Uh, another example that's closer to home for us, a respite care ministry on Thursday. That's the same idea. All we're doing is we're saying it's hard to raise children with special needs. It's difficult. 
it's, it's, it's a responsibility that many parents accept gladly and joyfully, and they feel that this is God's task for them. But at the same time, you get tired. And you, sometimes you just want to go and have a cup of coffee with your wife without having to chase, chase your, your child. And so our church is stepping up and saying, you know what, bring your children here on Thursday night, and we're going to have trained volunteers, people who will love your children, help them develop them, and watch them carefully, and keep them safe. And you go for two, three hours, go have coffee, go do your taxes, go, go to a movie, go shop. That's a tangible way of bearing somebody's burden. And as Christians, we're called to do that. We come and say, you know what, we're going to help with that. We just come alongside and support you in that. Now think about our church. Do we bear one another's burdens by supporting each other through struggle? When you find out someone is sick, do you call them? Do you spend two minutes on the phone just to encourage them? It's likely that they don't need anything. They have family around, they'll help them. But you take the time just to make a call, send a text, which is even less engaging. And just, just reach out a little bit and say, you know what, I'm, I just, I'm worried about you. I wonder how you're doing. Do you do that? Is that how your mind works? You know, you hear something, you know, on Sunday you, you meet people and you, and you hear somebody's sick. Do you make that call Sunday night or Monday? You know, do you babysit for an overwhelmed parent? Those are not hard people to spot, by the way, on Sunday morning. Do you just come and say, you know what, let me watch your kids for 15 minutes. Go get a cup of coffee. Can I come over Thursday night to your house and we'll just watch movies with your kids? Do you do that? Is that, is that how we think in our church? Or even a simpler thing, do you take somebody aside on Sunday and say, I know your life is hard. I know what you're dealing with. I know your circumstances. Can I just pray for you? Can I just take two minutes and pray for you, pray over you, and pray God's blessings on you and God's grace for your life? Those are tangible, practical ways of bearing each other's burden. Now, I want this sermon to be practical because I I think that's what we need to do. And some of us are doing that, some of us aren't. But we need to get into that mindset of practicing bearing each other's burdens, practicing it, doing it, being engaged tangibly with each other. Now, one more thing that this could mean is it could mean that we are intentionally discipling somebody. That's also bearing somebody's burdens. It's intentionally helping them move and grow in their Christian life. Matthew 28, in the Great Commission, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Isn't discipling or mentoring or teaching a younger believer not bearing one another's burdens? They're struggling in their faith. They're trying to figure out. They have big questions. And you come alongside and you say, you know what, I'm a little bit farther along. I can help you with that. I know the answer to that question. I asked it last year and I got an answer. And you just help them. You could do it in a variety of ways. In fact, as, as, fall, as our fall goes on, we, we're going to talk more about different ways to be engaged with one another through discipleship. It could be one-on-one. It could be a Bible study or a home group or a men's group or a women's group. Or, or it could be a completely organic friendship. Whatever, however that works. But if you're a spiritual believer, if you're a mature believer, are you discipling somebody? 
This is Christ's command that we would disciple people. Are you, are you doing that? And if you're not a mature Christian, are you seeking that mentor? Are you seeking that shepherd? Somebody to help you along? You have questions. Are you asking those questions? So I encourage you, talk to me. Talk to Wayne. Wayne is one of the elders here. We, we can help you get into those relationships. They're essential to your Christian life. You know, I, I don't have the quote before me, but Tim Keller said one time that uh, if you want to have deep spiritual experiences uh, and not be in community with other believers, he said, you're going to have to make that God up because the real God won't let you do that. And that's true. I think he said it better than I just paraphrased it. But, but this idea that you can just be on your own and be apart from community and still do well as a Christian, it's an illusion. It's not true. The New Testament is clear that that our faith develops in the context of one another. Part of it is bearing each other's burdens, but there's many more one another commands in the New Testament. And so if, if you are the kind of isolated individual Christian, embrace your community. Form those relationships. Have somebody disciple you, or if you're mature enough, disciple someone else. Be part of some group. Be so, do something outside of, outside of Sundays. Okay, so that's the practice. That's what it looks, the, the bearing of burdens, that's what it looks like. Let's look at the paradox of it. Now, this is, this is intriguing to me. This is part of the pomegranate thing in this text, is that you look at it, and, and Paul seems to be saying two different things, pretty opposite things as I, as I read it. For example, uh, he says, bear one another's burdens, one another's burdens, and then he says, each will have to bear his own load. Which is it? Are, are you supposed to help somebody, or are you supposed to focus on your own burden, on your own load? And then he says, don't think you're something when you're really nothing. And then, he sa- and then he says, your reason to boast should be in yourself and not in your neighbor. So again, which is it? Are you, supposed to, are you supposed to just say, I'm nothing and I can't boast in anything in myself? Or are you supposed to say, I'm going to boast in myself and examine my own work and realize my worth? Which one is it? He says, he says both. H- how does it fit, fit together? It seems paradoxical to me that he would shoot from you know, both barrels in, in this text. Now, I think the reason he does that is because we have different struggles with barren burdens, and he's addressing two groups. So I don't think those two different verses are addressed to the same person. I think he's speaking to a community in Galatia, and he's trying to address different issues. And so he's, he's, one verse goes to this person, another verse goes to this group. Th- this is how it breaks down. This is helpful for me. I hope it's helpful to you. Some of us naturally tend to try to take care of our own problems. We're, we're naturally individualistic and isolated. See, we don't, we don't ask for help. We, uh, we emphasize individual responsibility. Uh, we're typically Republican in the way we vote. I'm going to ruffle feathers, I think. We emphasize hard work and you know, careful planning and that we can overcome all the obstacles with just our own, our own strength and ingenuity. So we don't let others help us with our burdens. We just kind of feel like it's my responsibility, I'm going to do it. And because of this self-reliance, it is very difficult for us to bear other people's burdens. You see in the back of your mind, if you're in this group, you're thinking, why should I help him? He should get his life together. Why isn't he struggling with that? If he was just a little bit wiser and planned a little better and addressed his issues, he wouldn't need my help. So you're always struggling that you're always looking down on other people and saying, I'm not going to help him because he's not helping himself. Now that's one group. And so 
to that group, if you are in that group, this is for you, Paul says, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And he says, if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. He's speaking to that individualistic, self-reliant group. And he's saying, if you feel like that, you feel like you got all this in your life, you get your life together by your own accomplishments, you're wrong. He says, you think you're something. You're not something. You're nothing. Why? Because all of that comes through the grace of God. Jesus says in, in John 15, 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Some of us look at that and say, I can make a sandwich on my own. I can do certain things in life. But Jesus says in terms of moral accomplishment, in terms of things that you can do that are worth anything, you can't do anything without God's grace. You can't. Unless Jesus works in your life and gives you abilities and organizes your life circumstances in such a way that you get education, you get a good job, and you get a healthy family, that's what you get. And you get all these accomplishments because of Jesus. And so when somebody who's in that camp says, well, you know what? I'm not going to bear anybody's burdens and I'm not going to ask for help from anybody because I can do it on my own. They're deceiving themselves. They're taking grace for granted and they're saying, I have accomplished something when in reality, Jesus accomplished something through them. So, that portion of the text that says, you know what? Worry about yourself. You might fall just as deep and just as low as the person you don't want to help right now. So be careful. Be humble. Realize God's grace in your life. Augustine says, there's no sin which one person has committed that another person may not commit also. There's no sin that you can't commit. Anything, anything is, is possible in your life. So that's one group. Now, there's another group. That's the, that's the communal people. That's the people who, who love to get help from others. And, and they tend to always feel that other people are not doing enough for them. That's the Democrat side, okay? So, so I hit both, both sides. I'm obviously exaggerating and stereotyping. But this group think that they're struggling because other people, other believers, are not helping them enough. So they, they don't take responsibility for themselves. They feel victimized. They feel, feel that they're just blaming others and making excuses for themselves. To this group, Paul says, let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. He's saying, focus on your own life. Stop blaming everybody. Don't compare yourself to others. Don't boast in your neighbor. In other words, you're boasting because your neighbor did something for you or maybe because you're better than your neighbor. He says, stop doing that. Look at your life. Test your work. See what's going on in your heart with your issues. How are you addressing that? Take responsibility for your life. And don't blame everybody else. Don't compare yourself to everybody else. You're responsible for your load before God yourself. When you come and give account to God, you can't say, well, I've really messed up because that person didn't help me. It's not an excuse God is going to take. So what you see here is there's two groups, and all of us are somewhere on that spectrum. Some of us are more individualistic and driven. We're going to say, I'm going to do it myself. Others of us are saying, I need community. I need others to help me. If they don't help me, I'm not going to make it. But the gospel doesn't pick one of the other group. Which is why it's so hard for Christians sometimes to figure out which way to vote, I think. For some of us, anyway. It's because you see gospel elements on either side, but they're taken to an extreme. The gospel brings it together. The gospel says, and Jesus says, that 
you should take responsibility for yourself. And you should also help others. And as you take responsibility for yourself, others should help you. So it's individual and communal together. And the balance is so rare in the world, but it is in the gospel. And we're given that idea from Christ himself. So I think there's correction in this text for all of us. Some of us, we just kind of want to do it on our own and look down on everybody else. But some of us, we're blaming others for our problems. Let's both groups change. Let's both groups conform to the gospel. And some of us, we just need to repent from self-reliance and just say, I'm not, all I have is by grace. So I'm not going to feel proud and I'm not going to boast in my accomplishments that my life is going great. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to give glory to God and I'm going to help others. And other of us need to say, you know what? It's, it's time when I just take responsibility for my own choices. And so what? Somebody looked at me weird on Sunday. So what? I'm responsible for my own decisions. I'm going to carry my own load and respond to God's command on that. Well, lastly, and more importantly, most importantly in this sermon, we need to talk about the power of words. Now, it's, it, it's easy for any preacher to tell people what they need to do. This is not hard. You say, do this, this is wrong, this is right, focus on this, don't focus on that. The hardest thing is to, to allow God to work through the people so they actually do it. Because I'm sure some of you right now already feel convicted, and you already feel like, man, I'm not bearing each other's burdens, I'm not doing enough, and man, I could use some help. And, they, you know, and You're in that, and you're already, and I'm maybe just added another burden onto your life by saying that. So how, how do you deal with that? How do you work it out so that you're able to fulfill Christ's command and bear other people's burdens? Well, there is power in this. There's a third way, not a way of self-reliance, not a way of blaming others. There's the gospel way. And this is what it is. We need to give our burden to someone else, and we need to take up his burden ourselves. It's a dual solution. Power comes from giving our burden to Christ and taking his burden onto ourselves. Now, if you read this text carefully, it talks about the law of Christ. Why is Paul bringing up the law of Christ? The whole book he's talking about how the law is negative and how you can't be under the law. And here he comes up and says, hey, that's how you're going to fulfill the law of Christ. I think the reason is subtle, because in the rabbinical literature of the day, and you see that in the Gospels, they, people talked about the law as a yoke, as a burden. And because Paul is talking about burdens, it's natural that he's, as, again, as a trained Pharisee, it's natural for him to start thinking, okay, the law is like a burden, and we're under the law, we're crushed by it, now we're free from it. Does it mean we have no other yokes? Does it mean we have no other burdens? And he says, no. Christ comes and gives us another yoke and another burden. Now Jesus calls us in Matthew 11. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What is he saying here? There, there are two things that need to happen here. He says, come to me with all your heavy burdens, your heavy laden, you're tired, and I will give you rest. Meaning, I'm going to take it off of you. 
I'm going to take it off of you, off your backs, so you can rest. But then he says, as you come to me and as you experience my rest, I will give you my yoke and my burden. See, he doesn't leave us yokeless and burdenless. He gives us another yoke, which is, which is easy, and another burden, which is light. Now, just let me try to kind of help you grasp this. I think if you get this, the whole sermon makes sense. Okay? Isaiah 53, passage that, that Dave read this morning. It says that Jesus has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, and that he was crushed for our iniquities. I think that's a reference to what happens when we give our burden to him. On the cross, Jesus took our guilt, and he took our shame, and he took our meaninglessness and hopelessness and our struggles, and it crushed it. See, the burden that we carry, the burden of sin, that will undoubtedly, inevitably crush us, Jesus came and took it away. And he was crushed by it, in our place. So we avoid being crushed by this heavy burden and it's taken off, it's gone. When you become a Christian, when you come to him, he takes it off, he puts it on himself, and on the cross it crushes you, it kills you. So all that weight of your burden has been taken off, appropriated by Christ, and it crushed you. And now Christ says, I'm going to give you another burden and another yoke. And all those different responsibilities, all the things he wants you to do in life, the guidance in life, because the yoke guides the, the ox, all of that is now given to you, but the motivation is completely different. The power is completely different. Everything has changed. Let me use just one analogy to help us understand this. This is an old movie. But in the Chariots of Fire, I don't know how many of you have seen it. In the Chariots of Fire, there are two runners. One runs because he wants to justify his existence. That's what he says. He says, I have... I don't know, 10 or whatever, 11 seconds to justify my existence. What's his burden? His burden is that he has to run fast to be worth anything. So all that pressure, all that guilt, all that shame, if he fails, is on him. There's another runner who's a Christian. And he says, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. They both run, they're both fast. Completely different motivations. One has the burden and yoke of sin and the law. Another has the light and easy burden and yoke of Christ. Do you see how that's different? So when you think about your life and you think about your burdens, you, when you come to Christ, they are transformed. And so those tasks and responsibilities that you're given become not ways to validate yourself and to justify yourself, to show somebody that you're worth something, even if it is to yourself. You're not doing that out of guilt anymore. You're doing that out of joy. Because now it's become a task from Christ himself, from the one who died for you, who was crushed by your heavy burden of guilt and sin. And once you accept that yoke and burden from Christ, bearing each other's burdens is part of it. And so you do that gladly. You don't do that to make yourself worthwhile. You don't do that to, to earn any points with God or with anybody else. You do that joyfully. If you get the gospel, if grace penetrates deep into your heart, if you understand what Christ has done for you by taking the biggest, heaviest burden off of you and being crushed in your place, you will take on other burdens. You will come alongside and offer compassionate support, and you will disciple others, and you will correct those who have been overtaken by sin.
when we come to the table. And I'm going to encourage all of you Christians to come to the table. As you come, what you see is a body that was crushed by your birth. You see a blood that was squeezed out of Christ for your sake. Every time you come to the table, you realize that he took that burden off of you. And every time you leave the table, you should feel the yoke of Christ and the burden of Christ on you. And you do that joyfully. So let's do that together. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing, and, and we're going to take communion together.